Right, okay. Start it now. United not be, not playing again. So remember to get to the show, to listen back to the show whenever you want to listen back to the show. It's uh, www.toontalk.co.uk or you can also go to the App Store and just type in Toon Talk and you'll be able to listen back to the show as pre-recorded or live, whatever you wish. And also available uh, under www.novaradio.co.uk for FM users on any hand held devices. Well, I, I don't know about you, but everybody's been going stark, stark raving crazy about Newcastle United and the fact that we haven't uh, had a game. And now we're actually coming into the, the fact where England play in the next couple of days. What's what's going to happen? It's, it's up for grabs. The World Cup's around the corner. There could be a Russian boycott of the World Cup. There's so many <laughs> things going on. Newcastle United, well, there's lots and lots of things going on in Newcastle United. Will he go? Will he stay? Will Mike Ashley back, uh, Rafa Benitez? Will he be there at the end of the season? Will he, was there even a, an issue with them flying to Spain, uh, paying £15,000 uh, to stay in Spain? Allegedly, uh, he, he was up in arms about it. Is this the Mike Ashley way? Is he going to give um, Rafa Benitez the contract he deserves? Is he going to wait for the, the takeover if it's going to happen? That's gone quiet as well, actually. Uh, through my contacts I have. So, uh, lots to discuss this evening with my special guest in Joe Morrison of uh, live television football. He's everywhere. He's in Dubai, Muscat, Bangalore, everywhere. And he's come back, especially to the northeast. And the one thing he's come back is for his steak bake and great official. <laughs> which I have to say, I'm disappointed in you, Joe, I have to say that. Because I must admit, I don't eat there anymore. It's far too expensive, and they charge 20% just to sit your backside down. But good evening to you. How are you? Oh, it was takeout, man, Andrew. It was takeout. Takeaway. It's cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know me. I'm not going to pay the extra money to sit in and eat a steak bake. It was, uh, and the thing was, obviously, when I don't come back that often, and uh, certainly back to the northeast. So... When you've been away as long as I have, uh, there's not enough time to, to sit down and uh, get a knife and fork out. It was straight out of there, and it was straight down my gullet. <laughs> well, uh, if you look, if you look on, it's actually actually interesting to find you on uh, Google as well. As uh, Joseph Joe Morrison is the TV anchor for Ten Sports, Ten Action, Sony Six, which provides live football coverage to the Persian Gulf region, Indian subcontinent, and Asia. How is that mm. role 
and obviously I've, I've, when it comes to I'll get back to Greg's in a, in a second but when it comes to Greg's uh, there is actually a store up the street on Westgate Road where you can get half price and that's oh, the really? only place I'll go to there is a place yes it's um, it's it's actually five minutes away from where I work so I, live, I actually work opposite Newcastle's ground so um, next to the, the shark bar and, um, well, this was the, well. This was the one to show you how desperate I was. This was the one at the airport. So I came through arrivals and went straight. You know the one. So you come through arrivals, yeah. and, and just as you go through that door on your left hand side of the graves, that's that's where I was. That's, <laughs> that's, that's some good stuff. That was the yeah. desperation. In, in fact, that was all that was going through my mind when I was waiting for the carousel to dump my suitcase off of it, because you know I was uh, one of those unfortunates on this particular trip where it was literally. The last suitcase off the plane was mine, or the last one off the carousel was mine. So all that was running through my head was a bloody steak bake, bloody steak bake. There better still be one there. <laughs> well, that's the thing, is it? I think uh, the great thing about the northeast is with, with Greg's, it has more or less. It's well, they seem to be going everywhere, all over the country. Uh, it would be interesting to see if when they, I think they are in London. If well, put it this way, Andrew, there's not one in Bangalore or Delhi or uh, or Muscat for that matter. I know that I believe there is one. I could have sworn I heard that there's a place in there. I think Neil said to me that um, uh, there's a place. Um, in, in Dubai. Raqqa, in Raqqa somewhere. In Raqqa? What, like as in Syria? I doubt there's a Greg's in Syria. I think it's, there's some kind of place you can get it, but I, I'd be surprised it's the same. Um, uh, mm. Same standard type thing, but especially with the pastry. But um, anyway, that's the, thing, when you, that's the thing. When you come back, I've been back home four years now. But it's you know for me, I stay I stay away from it. They're, they're, they're everywhere. But like when when it comes to you traveling, like, working uh, everywhere essentially, mm. what's it like? Uh, you know, is it, are you close to ground when it comes to, when it when it comes to information on Newcastle? Because I, I heard you on BBC Radio. Trainer. But like um, talking about um, or everything with regards to Newcastle, but like um, what's it like in the job that you've got? Because um, you know you, you, you seem to have a lot a lot of different kind of guests on there. Um, it's with regards to Newcastle United, it's pretty low key, and the reason for that is um, the way the rest of, the way the rest of the world watches the Premier League is very different to the way you know we are brought up to watch uh, top flight football here in the UK so for example um, the audience of Manchester United against say a Huddersfield or a Stoke is is, is tiny and negligible whereas Manchester United against Liverpool is watched right across Asia and gets huge audiences so um, you know, even though there's, there's a lot of Manchester United supporters clubs or Liverpool supporters clubs or, or any of the top um, six I would say um, they don't, they're not of the persuasion where they would watch every Manchester United game. I mean, obviously there is a hard call that would do that, but in the main they wouldn't. Now, obviously, any Manchester United supporter here in the UK would watch every Manchester United game, even against the uh, the Bournemouths and the Burnleys and the mm. Huddersfields and the, and the Stokes, etc. So the audience has a... a, a appetite is different um, across Asia and Southeast Asia than it is here. So to go back and answer your question, with regards to Newcastle United, um, there is a Newcastle United supporters club in India, would you believe? Um, and it's quite a healthy one as well. I, I would like to claim that 
that's because I've uh, fueled it, but um, it's not the case at all. It was there before I started broadcasting across mm-hmm. the Indian subcontinent and Asia. So, uh, so, so there are supporters clubs there for Newcastle United, and they'll keep tabs on what's happening at Newcastle United. But um, it, it, there's not the intense, uh, you know, not like myself or you would, uh, flipping your laptop, laptop on in the morning to find out what Rafa Benitez is saying or what's happening in terms of the sale of the club. So it, it's, it's different. It's different. I think, uh, I think the Premier League went out to India. Um, with yeah, last year they went, they went to Bangalore, yeah. Yeah, that that was quite interesting. So, you know, the thing is, India is very, it's a very poor country. So, when when it comes to their football, are the the players that went out there, um, are they just trying to plug your the league, or are they trying, or is yes. India trying to actively bring in uh, players from Europe? No, no. So it was it was a, a, a the Premier League have IMG as a marketing partner, and IMG produce what's called the World Feed for the Premier League. You guys in the UK don't see that you get Sky Sports or BT Sport or whatever. But the rest of the world, they have what's, what's called Premier League TV, which is produced by IMG. And it was their initiative in conjunction with the Premier League to take the trophy out there. They, they had this big activation. They set up a, a fan park. They put big screens up. They've done it before the Premier League. Um, they did it in South Africa, I think, the year before. So what they're trying to do, and it's very clever and it's very smart in terms of marketing, is they're trying to get more actively involved with, on the ground uh, with various countries around the world that they broadcast to and where there's an appetite for the Premier League. So, um, you know, because fans, uh, they never get to see not just the people on TV, but, you know, the trophy is a really big thing from things that we would kind of take for granted. Um, you know, out there, it's very different. It, it means a lot to them. So uh, the Premier League is, you know, and, and La Liga, I've got a friend actually who's just started working for La Liga, and they're looking closely at everything that the Premier League have done. Um, and La Liga are a little bit behind in terms of getting out and about and spreading the La Liga message around the world. And just to put that in context, Andrew, you have to remember that, you know, the, the biggest game on the planet um, in the territory that I broadcast to is Real Madrid and Barcelona, without question. Bigger than Man United, Liverpool, um, bigger than Arsenal, Spurs, you know, whoever you want to pick. But th- the thing is, La Liga, it's only in the last, uh, what is it, two seasons ago that they moved the traditional kickoff time of Real Madrid and Barcelona in the El Clasico from a nine o'clock on a Saturday night kickoff, which it's always been traditionally. And that's crazy when you think about the Premier League has been going for years with lunchtime kickoffs mm-hmm. to hit the Asian market. That's the reason they do it. And then tea time kickoffs or nighttime kickoffs to capture the North American market. So um, it, it, it's a great activation, great idea, and really well done by the Premier League. I've, you know, I've seen it. I've seen it in action. Um, so they're pretty good in a particular regard. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think of the with, with with football, it, it's getting to the stage where it is saturation. I, I must say, I, I was the fact that Dubai is so heavily involved with with um, Barcelona. Uh, I, I must say, I, I didn't think they'd get away with that putting it on that time, but especially mm-hmm. with it being such a traditional um, you know time in in Spain. But the, mm-hmm. the, the thing is, even if we look today, if they've managed for somehow the Premier League. If, if these countries are looking at um, the, the Premier League for the, the times that they change, they've changed the Newcastle game uh, to a Monday. Right. And that's, and that's a month 
basically they're giving people a month to change their tickets, but people have already booked their um, you know the travel time, well, the accommodation. I mean, look, that's a very good point, Andrew, and, and uh, I'm the worst person to speak to when it comes to stuff like this because, you know, having grown up uh, here in the UK and uh, obviously, you know, when I worked at the BBC and then when I worked at Newcastle United, having trekked up and down the country for games, you know, with the planes, trains and automobiles, as it were, um, I, am, I am empathetic with that. But I also see the other side, which is, look, uh, football clubs, by their very nature, are cash-hungry monsters, and the, the primary thing that's fueling the whether it's the Premier League or Premier League football clubs is TV money. So, therefore, I'm sorry to say this, and it's not maybe it's what people want to hear, but the TV audience has to come first. When I was little, and when you were little, um, the, the ticket sales on the gate or the gate receipts was probably the, the driving force of revenue streams into a football club, you know, before the Premier League came along, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Alongside that, you could maybe argue a, a bit of sponsorship and, and match date sponsorship or pitch, uh, pitch advertising. Now, TV is number one. You know, you're, you're talking about $6 billion, um, in the last TV rights deal. I'm guessing it'll be somewhere around there. It might be even bigger when the world sales are taken in this time round. So, um, you know, the TV guys, yes, they're, they're, they're pushing um, uh, matches around and rescheduling matches to satisfy the demands of TV. Yes, it's a pain in the ass for the fan who's here on the ground in terms of changing tickets, et cetera, et cetera. But that's just the way it goes. If you want the money, then that's, you know, they dictate nowadays. I think it's a Sadly, game. it's true. It's true. It's, it's like a million. I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just saying you know that's the way it is. I think it's a it's a million pounds a game. So I I think well okay the Premier League whoever's paying the money, but then you can imagine how much the foreign um, you know TV companies on top of that as well. But something's going to have to give because I think um, yeah it's okay them switching games, but there has to be a you know. Yeah, I understand that they're looking at the uh, results of the games to try and mix and match. But every game, apart from England, you can see it live anyway. So mm. I, I don't understand why they would... Okay, put it on a Monday. It's great for me because, well, yeah, I can watch the game. I can watch every Newcastle United game anyway. It doesn't matter what mm. it is. I can still watch it. But um, it's just quite... It's quite uh, well, you can even watch the three o'clock kickoffs here. Yeah, but yeah, you've got to be... <laughs> It, I, through IPTV, yeah. All oh, right. So you're being a little bit naughty, are you, Andrew? Yeah, I'm never <laughs> naughty. I've been told I, actually today I was told I was naughty today for the first time, but uh, in a while. But <laughs> I, I always, I always tell them, listen, I'm never naughty. I'm just consistently, I'm just consistently <laughs> marketing. Because <laughs> I, I think that I, I think that'll change. By the way, in the next um, uh, the next set of rights, Premier League rights, mm-hmm. I think you'll be able to see three o'clock lives. In the UK. Should, because it, it's on it's on a US. They've got obviously NBC Gold. Mm. Um, it, on your show, um, is it live or is it just the, the particular games that are shown live, like one like in Sky? It, it's it's live, but um, we get the IMG feed production. So basically, the games are the ones that they show. So it just depends on the number of channels that are available. So for example, obviously cricket's a big thing. Um, to where I broadcast to. Now, if there's a big international cricket tournament going on that involves India, the number of channels 
because they'll have uh, one feed in HD, one feed in standard definition, blah, blah, blah. So the number of channels will be reduced. So we won't be able to show. Um, I know this doesn't happen very often now, but you know sometimes you'll get a seven-game, three o'clock kickoff Saturday. It's not happening as often now, but on the odd occasion you'll get it. We wouldn't be able to show all seven games because we just literally don't have enough mm. uh, enough channels to put those seven matches on. So we'd pick the best games, and you always pick the biggest, you know, the biggest teams first, the top six if they're in. in I mean, thankfully, most of the time, three o'clocks that are not not always the big boys. They're, you know, usually the uh, the also runs. I think uh, like when the, when the match is on, just here three three o'clock kickoff. What time is it for you? Uh, for it's, it's, it's four hours time difference to the Middle East, and then it's another one and a half to the Indian subcontinent. So it's kind of take your pick as to where you're broadcasting from. So it's like four four and a half hours. Obviously, that'll change this weekend. Um, sorry, five and a half hours. It will become four and a half hours this weekend when the clocks change. So, so what's it like for you? And obviously, do you, you, tra- you must travel a lot, right? Um, from di- different—is it different studios from different places? Or yeah, yeah, because it's all—it's different productions for different companies. So yeah. yeah. Is, it, is it a great life? Do you enjoy it, or do you, do you, oh you yeah, yeah. Be in Newcastle more? Or? Oh no, I love it. I mean, you know, it's. Um, I've been very, very lucky in the sense of it's always what I wanted to do. I wanted to do live broadcast and I wanted to anchor, you know, the biggest leagues on the planet and the biggest tournaments on the planet. Um, that was always my dream. And, you know, I think if I'd stayed in Newcastle and stayed, uh, or certainly stayed in the UK anyway, my opportunity to do that would have been very, very limited because you're waiting for dead man's shoes, you know. You, um, I know that people don't go on quite as long as, as the Des Lynams of this world nowadays, but, you know, you would still be waiting for Gary Lineker to to um, move on and hang up his microphone, and and you know that opportunity that those opportunities are very very thin. So I'm doing exactly what I want to do. Um, you know, I'm the main anchor for a number of broadcasts for a number of different leagues, and it's it's enjoyable. I've done it now for oh, 13 years, I think it is. I think it only came to my neurosis in my own mind. Is when the Keys, the Richard Keys and the Andy Greys left to go to go to Dubai, uh, and I to catch up. Then yeah, to catch up. So that's when I kind of started to realise that there was a different sphere. Like I always thought of America because I, I lived there at the time, but mm. um, I I never really thought much of um, you know India, Dubai, Qatar, wherever uh, where people watch football, and I, I think that's where the fact that you know, Man City involved with um, with you know that country yeah. as well, and that and obviously now you've got Newcastle being linked with it. Um, you know, give, give us your perspective. I know you've spoken before about, it, but um, it would it, it would appear that mm-hmm. for that for that area, uh, it would it should be because basically Newcastle is the last diamond in this country really when it comes to big teams that. Oh yeah, yeah. We we would uh, definitely say that, wouldn't we? Because um, we're biased, you and I. So, uh, and, well, we are. And you know, I, biggest, yeah. I I firmly believe that it is a, an absolute gem of a proposition in Newcastle United in terms of a in terms of a football club. Why? Because you've got a big stadium. You don't need to go and, and, and uh, build an ex- build a, a new stadium. Yes, we'd love to see. 
maybe the Gallagher end extended or the whole thing, you know, raised to whatever, 60, 70, 80,000 capacity. But that's not a desperate requirement, whereas there are some stadiums of other clubs that are up for sale which do require a bit of investment in the stadium. So Newcastle United doesn't need that. Um, so from, and, and, of course, it's full. It's full to the rafters every single week. So um, that's a great fan base. Um, and, you know, there's one important element that is quite often missed in this conversation, and that's um, uh, a historic feel-good factor. Sadly, every year that goes by, a little bit of that is lost. You know, I think like 5% of that is lost. And what I'm talking about is, you know, Newcastle United was everyone's second team um, back in the mid-90s, you know, the entertainers, etc., etc. Uh, huge fan bases in Southeast Asia. Um, huge fan bases, you know, and in, in, you probably saw it in uh, North America as well, because they were a genuinely entertaining team to watch. Even if they weren't your first team, even if you supported one of the other uh, football clubs in the, in the Premier League. However, because they haven't set the world on fire for a long time now, plus the yo-yoing up and down in the championship, and, the, you know, the championship is very difficult to see in many places around the globe. Every year that goes by, they lose a little element of that. And that's what's worrying, you know, for me personally. Um, now, come on to the business side, and you and I have spoken about this before, Andrew. They are not the best business proposition in terms of football clubs that are up for sale. And the reason I say that is because, you know, except your assets are what people are looking for. So um, you really limit yourself to cash buyers. Why do you limit yourself to cash buyers? Because the American model, and you've been to America, the American model of owning sports franchises, let's call it a franchise, even though I hate that word when it comes yeah. to sport. Um, the American model of owning a sports franchise is to leverage on it. So, you know, uh, uh, Manchester United is the best example. It's on borrowed money, Manchester United. You know, I think, what is it, 400 million, half a billion or something of borrowed money um, uh, to buy Manchester United. Now, why is that a problem? Well, to put it in simplistic terms, you can only borrow on assets uh, just like your house. Yeah, you, you, you borrow from the bank the money to buy a house and the bank essentially owns your house until you've paid off your mortgage. And they own the land in which the house is built and they own the bricks and mortar. Right, where's the problem come in? The problem comes in because uh, Newcastle United don't own the ground on which St. James's Park mm -hmm. is built. So they don't have that collateral on which to leverage money. So that then removes North America um, as an option. As, as, a, as a major investor, it removes North America. I've been told that there are uh, there's maybe, I think, one as part of this um, consortium that uh, linked to the Amanda Staley, and I know we'll go on and talk about that more in just a second, that's from North America. But that guy is not buying the club outright. Then you look at the price, $350 million. There are a lot of clubs that are available and are for sale for a lot less than $350 million, mm -hmm. of which you could put that investment in and you could get a Premier League football club. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So this is where you've got to, you know, this is where I, I get into heated debates with, with, you know, a lot of fans back here, Newcastle United fans back here, because I have to take the sentiment out of it and take my bias out of it and say, look, I'm looking at it through the eyes of an investor from somewhere around the world. These are very wealthy guys. So who are you left with? Well, you're left with China, uh, you know, someone from Southeast Asia. You're left with someone from the Middle East. 
as your as your buyers, you know. I think um, I think that's always been the issue, isn't it? But I think the, probably the one interesting interesting thing to me, and I think maybe people should have listened a bit more closely when when he when he put the club for sale, Mike Ashley. Um, the word, he, he said he wanted a deal done before Christmas or just after Christmas. Now, irrespective of you know what bid was put in, it's been confirmed by George Culkin um, of the Times anyway. But um, mm-hmm. when I think we should expect a reaction from from even though he was drunk when he called in, but um, from Mike Ashley because he didn't he didn't say things on a whim like. And I'm sure that Amanda Stavely probably didn't expect the words that he, he used against her. But um, he, the club is still for sale. He's, he's still mm. looking to sell it, which I think is the key ingredient here for Newcastle. When it when it comes uh, when it comes to uh, in what areas of the of the world that Newcastle should be bought by, like it's, to me it should be bought by a, a huge conglomerate, um, mm. somebody that could. I think when you mentioned the stadium. I've always been told, and you probably would know better than me, but when it comes to the the Arab world and uh, you know India, wherever, normally they like to build from the ground up. Uh, when it comes to a club, yes, Newcastle United have got a it's a magnificent stadium right in the centre of town. I think they're moving the the um, the Metro Radio over to the gated side where I live. So mm. uh, the, the, to me, there is, there is a possibility. In the Newcastle landscape, if they were going to build, like, what would you think if they're going to build something new? You're probably looking at seventy-five thousand, but I, I think we'd struggle to fill seventy-five. But um, if Newcastle had a new stadium, um, I don't. Well, think it, well it's a which, come, which, which comes in. first, Andrew. You know that's the that's the issue, isn't it? You're talking about uh, you, you think they would struggle to fill seventy-five thousand. Well, the current playing squad, which, you know, let's be blunt, a large chunk of it is really a championship squad, not a Premier League, um, uh, Premier League players, then yes, you're absolutely right, they would struggle to fill 75,000. However, if they get a takeover from a cash-rich cash Arab, to use that, that often banded about phrase, then, and they go and buy some of the world's top players, um, the Neymars of this world, it's no problem filling that stadium with 75,000. No problem whatsoever. But I don't think that's the priority. You know, extending the capacity of the stadium is not a priority at the moment for someone who's looking at taking the club over. It's about, um, you know, the two things that they're looking for now mm. are, are this. The two primary things that someone, and I can only speak really because I, I don't um, know many North American mm. um, uh, investors in sports, so I don't know how they think. But I do know how the Arab mentality thinks in particular. Um, and, and the wealthy Indian uh, mentality things. They're looking for two things. They're looking for a sponsorship platform. So exactly what Mike Ashley has done with his Sports Direct, they would be looking to do the same thing. In the same way as the, the, the Manchester City Stadium is called the Etihad, right? It's a platform for the airline Etihad, which is the airline of Abu Dhabi, the capital of the UAE, to uh, market everything. Now, you've probably seen the advertising hoardings around the pitch side at the Etihad Etihad Stadium. And there's a company on them, and you'll see them every weekend, called Etihad. Well, Etihad is like the UAE equivalent of Vodafone, you know, or or, or whatever, BT. So so they're looking for a platform on which to globally market. That's number one. And the second thing is, 
They're looking for a seat to, at the top table with the big boys. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Nobody had a bloody clue who Roman Abramovich was until he bought Chelsea. And at the time, he was still one of the richest guys on the planet and he could go anywhere in the world he wanted to, but nobody knew who he was. Now, these guys are, are proud um, and, you know, they like the fact that they'll be recognized or that they're, um, you know, people around the world. It opens many doors, many, many doors. So those are the two things that make it attractive to those guys. You understand? Yeah, I, I must say that ages ago, I know, I think I remember that Newcastle, there was interest in um, uh, the, the U.S., from uh, a hedge company, and something mm-hmm. happened. Um, I think I think when we were relegated the last time, because they, they were being heavily linked with somebody taking us over. Because obviously, you know, I work I work for a main a major company in um, in Newcastle, and normally mm-hmm. they buy companies and uh, fix their investments. So with Newcastle being such a great investment for anybody. Because when I look, when you look at the, I just because I'm in marketing, I look at um, what Newcastle market essentially, and mm-hmm. they and I look at everything that they they could do. They're not making money on the mm-hmm. um, the one area they should make money. Now, when I even when I look at the boss, the rest of Red Sox for Liverpool, um, yes, they do. I think the, the main one they've got is Papa John's. I think um, when it comes to Liverpool or. Dunkin' Donuts, I think um, uh, Liverpool have got that investment from there. Uh, you know, when it comes to sports, as you just said, regarding the, you know, when it comes to Man City with that with that cell phone coverage, um, uh, you know, ad with Newcastle, it's basically that one shop he puts on there and his various other businesses. But I, I believe that you know, looking at the records, they're not bringing in that much money. Uh, that's you know this the thing isn't it when when Mike actually says everything that we earn he would give to Rafa, mm-hmm. but he, spend, he spends most of his time, well not listening to him and not wanting to give him the money. So I think it wouldn't take even I think even if somebody came in there when that's the thing about America, they're, they're they're buying into everything that they're doing. They're they're making they're now changing their channels with the the gold channel to NBC. So you've actually got to pay for it. Mm. So. Oh, um, Americans, by their very nature, are, are fabulous at maximizing revenue streams. Yeah. Fabulous. And I used to always think about that when I was working for Newcastle United. You know, the advertising hoardings at that time were Jennings Ford and Jamie's Tiles and Pucker Pies. And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking after we did a tour to, uh, I think it was Hong Kong. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, who the hell has heard of of Pucker Pies or Jamie's Tiles here in Hong Kong. It has to be a global, you know, your advertisements, and that's where the Manchester United and this world are so good. You know, Standard Charter for Liverpool is a bank, and mm-hmm. Manchester United, you see, um, uh, is it Budweiser, uh, you know, one of the... They're all international brands. They're very mm-hmm. global brands, you know. So th- there is a, a huge amount. You're absolutely right. There's a huge amount of, um, uh, of opportunity uh, financial opportunity in getting global, um, you know, advertisers, sponsors into St. James's Park and, and you know, riding on the back of Newcastle United as a brand, which is why these guys are, are interested, you know, that's why they're interested in the first place. The one ad that took my um, attention 
uh, when it comes to the like the, the, the Super Bowl. Uh, probably the biggest ad I've seen uh, to try and bring people to visit uh, is Australia. And they put a, a big massive ad in. I'm not saying Australia, uh, the business there, could come in to buy Newcastle. It, mm. Basically, right now, I want anybody to come in, <laughs> as, long as, as long as they prepared to fund the, the monster on the hill. But um, mm. it was interesting, the amount of money that would have cost uh, the Australian market to, to basically say to people, hey, well, you, you love us, you love our barbies, you, you love our people, you love our weather, why don't you mm. come? So, mm. it, it, you know, that market was directly a, a, a jab to try and get the uh, American investor to invest in Australia because when it comes to safety, which, mm-hmm. you know, with, with the world being a crazy place, um, Australia doesn't have any, because I've just come back from there. Um, mm. And it's, it's taken off. So, it, you know, the little things like that, when you've got to speculate to accumulate, with Newcastle, mm-hmm. you can you can imagine, Joe, couldn't you? Whoever takes over Newcastle, it's going to be a it's going to be a complete blank canvas. But the the, the people that who've got this money, uh, two hundred fifty million, um, you know, it's obviously been banned about that she, she's offered. Uh, I don't think it would take too much up from that figure, depending on relegate, depending on if we stay up. But um, I think Newcastle will stay up. Yeah, it's when you look at it, though, the worst thing is, I don't know how you feel about it. Well, the reason I think that is because I think the points total to survive will be quite low this year. Mm -hmm. I I personally believe it'll be 37 points, that's what I believe. Because I think we're on 30... Yeah, I think we're uh, about five more points, isn't it? 32? 32, Yeah, so it's obviously a big game when we play Huddersfield. Uh, The worst thing for me as as a supporter... It's normally, obviously, in print, you see people um, mentioning, oh, West Brom are losing. Well, you know, look, the the, the thing is, Andrew, it puts us all in a predicament, doesn't it? Because um, we all want Newcastle United to stay up. But if Newcastle United stay up, you know, would Amanda Stavely and her consortium come back in and buy Newcastle at what will, you know, or what Ashley will want uh, at 350 million? However, if they go down to the championship, he's going to give it away to, to Amanda Stavely at 250 million like that straight away. But you, you suffer the, the ignominy of going down to the championship, so I'm not sure which, which I prefer. <laughs> you know. Well, that's the thing um, is that you could, it, I remember. I don't. He, he'll he'll hold out for more money if Newcastle stay up than he would if Newcastle went down. Yeah, but I think uh, if they go down. If Newcastle United go down, there is no ifs or buts about the sale of the club to Amanda Stavely's consortium. It'll happen like that, in a flash. That's the it's, thing. With, you, do you, with Newcastle, you, obviously, we don't want that. But I remember, you probably remember back in the day when we, we played Sunderland. And I, I was actually at the ground that day. And, uh, Sunderland? Are they a football club, are they? <laughs> Bit of a joke, aren't they, at the moment? Are, are, are they still in the league? Are they still in the football league? <laughs> they may not be for them very much longer. But um, <laughs> it's interesting with Sunderland. It's like, but when it comes to uh, the factor in Newcastle, when you look at the way that he, he what he wants, like I mm. think 3 million, I don't think it'll be anywhere near 350, but I keep on hearing that figure because he wants 300 clear. He definitely wants 300. And if she goes up that amount, if we stay up, it'll probably happen mm. to, to take over. But when it comes to everything else that goes on with Newcastle, 
Um, I, it's, it, right now, I just it, it feels like theatre. Like you, you're back here now. Actually, I think it would be a great idea for the, the Chronicle to get you in the studio with the when they do a, a spread. But um, <laughs> when when it comes to um, you know getting um, Newcastle in in the right space, because the way the way that they seem to be writing is that they're, they're trying to say, well, the time is now. The time is for investment because he's got 500 players on a database ready to go to to bring in to whoever they bring in. And oh, look, look, let, let me let me let me stop you there. Just you yeah. know, let me just stop you right in your tracks there. I'm sorry to say this, and again, this is just from knowing how these people think. Rafa Benitez is the is the least of the worries of these people who are playing this game at the top, as in the taker over of Newcastle United. They couldn't care less whether Rafa Benitez loses his primary target in the January window or this summer's window or whatever window you want to talk about. You know, um, they don't give a monkeys about that. Not a monkeys. They couldn't care less. So unfortunately for you and I, you know, you and I are saying, look, this is this is getting tense. Why is it getting tense? Because Rafa Benitez is is on the brink of signing these particular targets, and um, they're all going to be in jeopardy. They don't give a they don't give a shit about that. They really don't. This is this is brinkmanship. This is, this is a high stakes poker game between uh, two people in particular, um, but it's two groups essentially who have both got a lot of money, and they think differently to you and I, Andrew. You just got to accept that they they think on a completely different level. Yeah, so I think we, we, we we can talk all day about you know what Rafa should do or shouldn't do or the team or, you know, um, uh, and I understand Rafa Benitez's frustration. I feel really sorry for the guy, to be quite honest with you, because this is the second time he's gone through this. He went through all this palaver with Hicks and Gillette, remember, mm-hmm. back at, at Liverpool. So the, it's like deja vu for him. Um, you know, I feel so sorry for him in that particular regard. But this whole game will play itself out at their pace, not at the pace of, the Jan- uh, sorry, the summer transfer window is opening in a couple of months' time. Um, you know, it, they couldn't care less, Andrew. They really couldn't. I think, um, because obviously your insight of working for the club, uh, I think when, they, when, you, when you look at everything that they've done, like, if they, this is what surprises me. Because he wanted to sell it, even though with the fact that you've got, um, you know, the transfer window, the, the season coming, coming to an end quite soon, um, when it comes to money for buying players, you've got the added well, it's a hindrance, hindrance, isn't it? It's a the World Cup uh, players, players as soon as they, the the season finished, they're going away to their clubs. So mm. you know, how are you going to be able to buy these players whose inflation, whose prices are going to go up and down on the performances? Um, mm-hmm. Especially with we, we obviously we, we could look, we could see Jorgensen uh, score a hatful and he's. <laughs> You know, his price goes up 10, 15 million overnight, considering mm. the price we could have got him for. But um, I think when it, with the fact that Newcastle are play, play, playing this game with supporters and with Rafa Benitez, I, obviously I, I read um, a bit about him when he, he was asked if, he, if he's enjoyed this season. And the good thing about Rafa, he always says what he thinks, and he didn't really hold back too much. And he said he hasn't enjoyed it because he knows fine well he... If he's allowed to, to run a club as normally as any club can be run, um, mm-hmm. if he run, you know, he, he would really be going for it. We probably have more attack and feel. And um, the, the one thing that surprises probably surprised you as well 
I would say it's the latest England squad that the players that are fighting, you know, every every week for Newcastle, Jamal Lasales hasn't been put in the England squad. But I think for, for me, I was quite happy about that. What, what, what did you think? Well, no, no, I I always want players to um, to represent their country. I think it's a great honour. Um, the the thing for me though is, and I understand an international manager's perspective, which is. If you've if you've got a player that you think has got the potential to be in the national team squad, but he's playing in a team which is on the back foot, week in week out, how do you know that you know how do you know what his best is? You know what I'm saying? Um, and it's a really difficult one to judge. It's it's I, I don't know, but no, I mean I know what you're saying. It's like club versus country, and. Um, uh, you know, there's many cases. Sir Alex Ferguson was the best, wasn't he? I heard recently about, you know, how Welsh fans uh, were never that happy with Ryan Giggs because he was always missing international matches for Wales. Well, you can't blame Ryan Giggs. It was Sir Alex who was, uh, who was, you know, saying, no, you've, you've got a knock. And I can't tell you who the player is. Should I tell you who the player is? Yeah, go on. Um, no, I, no. I don't remember I, it. There the, the, the was... Um, Oh, I can tell you who the player is. Should I tell you who the player is? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, the next time I'll tell you who the player is. Oh, come so, on! The, 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 so, um, it might be yeah, live, but uh, I haven't promoted it today. It'll be on the podcast. When I was at Newcastle United, obviously the manager was Sir Bobby Robson, you know, and there was a player who did actually, um, uh, you know, was told literally um, before, you know, the day before an international break, he's saying, right, um, I was there in the room, you know, right, you've got a knock. Um, and that was it, you know. So it, it's like, especially when it's friendlies, you know, international friendlies. Players are playing so many games now, and I understand the club that pays their wages, the club that 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 deals with them medically, week in, week out. You know, they have to suffer if they go away on a meaningless international friendly. You know, and I think because they're still talking. Has it been agreed yet? I, I haven't uh, looked recently. Has it been agreed that they're going to have this sort of European block, if you like, where all of the teams are going to play qualifiers in one sort of, oh, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, one that, block yeah. together instead of these these friendly scattered throughout a season. Yeah, European League they're calling it, I think, aren't they? Is it the European yeah. League? Is that what they're calling yeah, it? They're all... it? completely confused me. I'm thinking, well, what does it actually mean? Like these countries that just can come up from nowhere, they should mm. to make it more competitive. They should be playing each other. To play the teams that are in the groups, yeah, so, you know, it could be more exciting for the. Well, imagine if, um, well, you know, well, it has meaning, doesn't India. it? It 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 has it has some meaning to it. That's the thing. Yeah, because that's the thing. That for, for everybody, it has meaning for the manager, the international managers, it has, it has meaning for the fans, it has, mm. um, you know, meaning for, for the players themselves. They're not just going going away and playing pointless friendlies. And that's you know between now and the World Cup, how do you define a pointless friendly? A manager needs game time to get his squad together because they're heading towards Russia. So, you know, he needs to find out the combinations that are going to work. You don't want to be finding out who your best and worst combinations are and experimenting on the first day of whatever it is, the 14th of June or the 13th of June, whenever it starts. Yeah, because I think, uh, actually, Jason Point, <laughs> it must be a bit apt for Ryan Giggs because the one player in Newcastle he wanted to pick for the friendlies was Paul Dummett. And Paul mm. Dummett was... Uh, I had an issue with Chris Coleman at the back end of his tenure um, when he asked him, he obviously he didn't, he, I think he was asked to 
to come in. He said no because he's he had a bit of an injury in the cause of a to do. Mm. And um, now Ryan he had a knock. Him, <laughs> he had a knock. <laughs> he had the infamous and knock. He's asked Paul Dummett, and Paul Dummett has said essentially he said to him, listen, uh, I'm going to wait till the end. This you know relegation battle because mm. essentially they're playing. That's that's the issue, isn't it? They're playing meaningless friendly matches. Like it's the same with Northern Ireland. Uh, sorry, Republic of Ireland. When it comes to all these teams that aren't, you've got you've got to blood in players that necessarily you won't um, you wouldn't normally do because you know in England like oh God I didn't even know England. I actually knew England were playing this week, but I didn't realise they're playing so quickly. Um, you know, it, there's, there's there's no enthusiasm right now in, in, until the World Cup starts until uh, the the, the pre games. Um, mm. Nobody's going to be interested in it, but uh, that's the thing with with Newcastle because we don't seem to get a lack of it. Uh, we don't seem, like Gareth South Southgate hardly ever comes to St James's Park um, and watch. I, I think I've seen him once on TV actually bothered mm. to come up, and this from a guy that was based in in Middlesbrough and you know you would think would understand. I, I don't I, I don't think it matters that much now. You know I think you can, you can see so much football you know it's not I think and I certainly feel like this myself if I'm watching a player I want to see what he's like off the ball and that's what you don't see as well as on the ball um, and that's what you don't see on TV because the, the cameras are always following the action you know um, but you want to see how someone's reacting it's body language so I think if he's made a decision on a player or he's getting towards the final decision on a player um, if then and only then would he actually go to the stadium and have a look and just, you know, gauge the body language, um, you know, and, and see what he's doing off the ball as well as on the ball, the kind of stuff that you couldn't see. But now you can, you know, there's ISO cameras, there's, there's, there's everything, there's absolutely everything now. He can, he can get access to data of players in terms of their running, you know, that the football clubs all have now for every player and every match. And, and well, we all have it now, don't we, the stats. So um, you can gain a lot from that. I think it's, I think it's a final eye or a you know, a final endorsement is probably why an England manager now actually goes to the game, or, or any international manager goes to the game. You know, unless they're trying to rack, rack up air miles, or, uh, <laughs> or, 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 or what, are, what are the dish out with Shell petrol stations now? You know, <laughs> coupons. To, you know, going up and down the A1 or M6 or whatever. <laughs> I was going to say, when it comes to your involvement, um, when it, it it seems to be like a lot of the big, a lot of the big uh, TV TV stations. Do get uh, these chats with Rafa uh, with with your company? Or are you looking to um, maybe get involved and speak with Rafa on on just uh, his day to day and go to see the lads training and, and just get a, get in that, on that side of things? Is is your station want to do that? Because you, you look at uh, NBC, they get involved with um, you know especially with the, with their normal show on a Saturday. Um, mm-hmm. They meet. Uh, or they, they even do a programme, don't they? A pre-game show on the, the daily workings of the team and the, the players and going to training. Uh, yeah, are you um, able to do that as well? Yeah, Premier League Productions um, provide a lot of that. And uh, the UEFA as well, they're really good with regards to the Champions League. Behind the scenes, you know, at the training ground, insights, that kind of stuff. So we get provided with a lot of that, uh, that um, kind of footage anyway. So... There's no issue with that. It's really good. It's really well produced and really well packaged. 
Yeah, they think I must say that's probably the one thing you find with the Premier League because they like putting on more programs that you can catch more uh, different variations of a of a stream now. You can pick mm. them can, Canadian, Indian. It's like it, it can it can be it can be anywhere. And I, I think with um, when you're, you're probably the most interesting thing is uh, I believe that when the, with everything that's going on with Newcastle, you would think if um, when it comes to the any progressive takeover, if you wanted, if I actually wanted to uh, stay in football, probably the cheapest cheapest one you can go for next would be Sunday, wouldn't it? <laughs> cheapest chips? Oh, you really are naughty. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it is interesting what's going on there because Chris. Cole, I, I, I don't. I, I don't think. I'm not sure if he would, unless he saw a bargain, because he's a deal maker at the end of the day. I'm not sure he would uh, get involved with um, with football again, you know. I, I'm not sure. I don't know. You, you never know. But again, it comes all the way back to, you know, near the beginning of where this conversation started, which is what is the true value? You know, they're not buying a football club. They're buying an asset. And is that asset worth it? It's like me going to, to look at a, a Ferrari where the wheels are falling off it, you know. Just because it's a Ferrari, you don't buy it. You, you have to look at it objectively and say, oh, well, you know what, the tyres are flat or whatever, so therefore it's lost a bit of its value or the engine isn't quite right. You know what I'm saying? Just because it's a Ferrari doesn't mean to say that it's worth X. If it's a Ferrari that's in a bad state, then it's not worth X. Yeah. I, think, I know that's um, not a great analogy, but you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, that's the thing. This week we'll find out a bit more because the fans forum is getting together again. Um, you know, you know, we'll hear a bit more... Uh, and what and what they're going to say and because this the thing isn't it with um, the fact that he, he his his own Rafa's tenure is 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 uncertain moving forward. Uh, if 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 they just had a bit of sol, sol, well solidity, but in the end, would you would you want to? I don't think Rafa. I think Rafa is in a fantastic position because. He's got all the leverage when it comes to Newcastle, really, isn't he? Because you can't really imagine that, uh, you know, he, he knows he's got one more season left, so, you know, it, 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 depends, it depends on everything we got relegation. But uh, if, even if they get relegated, he, he, he'd have to pay a bit of money to come out of the contract. And, um, yeah, which is, which is irrelevant, by the way, because, um, you know, Rafa's got a good standing in terms of his CV good standing in the football world in terms of his coach and he's well thought of as a coach not just as a manager so any club that wanted Rafa would pay his the, the buyout the buy out the remainder of his contract no problem at all so that's not an issue um, and I don't think certainly if they went down again I don't think Rafa would stay uh, unless he was given an assurance that yes the deal was going to go through but I don't think, if this deal looks like it's not going to happen, this is just my opinion, if this deal looks like it's not going to happen this summer, I'm not sure Rafa would, would hang around. Um, but there's another side to it which most people don't see, and that's you know the other offers that would be on the table. Um, Rafa's family loves living in the Northwest. Uh, he loves you know being in England. The, the, the wages in uh, English football are considerably higher than all of the other European leagues. They're much better paid uh, because of, you know, the, the huge TV rights deals that we're talking about with regards to the Premier League. So 
you know, there, there, are, there are one or two things that would, if it came to a 50-50 decision, would probably make Rafa Benitez stay. Um, but, you know, he's a passionate guy, wears his heart on his sleeve, and that's also a dangerous element as well, because sometimes you can just go, you know what, I've had enough of this. Why? Because I went through this before with Hicks and Gillette, and, and I don't want to be buggering around for the next two or three seasons, you know. And, and let's get a couple of things straight here. Just because someone shows interest, so what normally happens when someone's interested in a, in a football club is, first of all, there'll be some sort of intermediaries who approach um, the, the seller. Uh, those intermediaries have to provide a mandate. So the, that mandate is an actual signed um, contract, if you like. So it's like me saying, yes, I'm acting on behalf of an anonymous buyer, or sometimes it's not anonymous, sometimes they know who the buyer is. I'm acting on behalf of this buyer. Uh, this buyer has given me permission, he's given me a mandate, uh, an actual signed mandate to say that I can act on behalf of this buyer. And then um, what normally happens is a, a bond is put in place. Uh, the bond is, is at the, at the discretion of the football club that's selling, uh, that's been sold. Um, so it can be anything in Newcastle's case. I don't know what the bond was. Do you know what the bond was? But so put it this way, it'll, it'll be a, certainly a few million quid. Um, at the very least, just to sh show you're serious, because you cannot have, you know, there's a whole load of waste and stray businessmen. Uh, the greatest example of which was that Dr. What's his name? Fahim that bought Portsmouth. Was it Dr. Suleiman or whatever his name was? Yeah. Um, the, the, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of waste and stray guys who are worth like, say, a million quid or two million quid who think they're, you know, in with the big big boys when it comes to the money, and they're not at all. So, you know, a football club, when it's being sold, can't just open itself up to anyone who has this um, fanciful notion of buying the club. So that's why that you have to put a bond down to go into uh, the negotiation, and, uh, and then you get the, a period of exclusivity, and there's a period of confidentiality comes with that. So, um, you know... So just to make it clear, there was a lot of people sniffing around last autumn, but there was no one that was serious, irrespective of what Mike Ashley said. There was no one that was serious, you know. So he has, or he had, I don't know what the situation is right now, but it's certainly over that period of last autumn to early this year, there was only one serious buyer, irrespective of what he says. Mm. I, th I must admit, I did, I think because of when Newcastle, you know, they had the sponsor for the shirts, and they went with that Chinese company. I think because he, he went, because Sean Lee and his team of band of brothers uh, went abroad, chasing investment from China. I think they mm -hmm. must have expected when they bought the club, uh, also when they, when they did the deal with the Chinese, that would immediately bring them in uh, to, to actually buy them, you know, to make a bid for them because um, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't quite work like that. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. But it doesn't quite work like that. I mean, so yes, what what going and doing a deal with a, Ch a Chinese um, uh, company? It's a betting company, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Um, a Chinese gambling company uh, on the shirts is it, op it? It opens up the channels for China, and it gives you exposure in China as well. There's, there's a couple of things that have changed, or one thing in particular that's changed recently, and that is. Um, and this is my understanding of it, there were one or two very, very wealthy people in China who were just a little bit unsure of the government clampdown in terms of um, cash leaving China. Maybe he's a little bit worried about their own position um, in China and their own business interests. And they were using, 
you know, the purchase of football clubs and, and any kind of assets around the world, not just football clubs, not just sporting assets, but other things as well, hotels and, and companies, they were using that as an opportunity to to, to get uh, large sums of money out of China into somewhere uh, where they had a bit more control of it if the government changed its tune. Now, the government hasn't exactly changed its tune in China, but what they have done is they've certainly tightened up things in terms of, um, you know, the, the money that's spent. So um, the government just, you know, they're not dishing out the, the huge contracts that there were uh, a while ago uh, to football players, for example, that are heading towards the Chinese Premier League. Uh, so all of that kind of stuff, the government's just starting to tighten all the rules and tighten the money that's flying about. So it's not quite as easy to do it as it was, you know. Yeah, I think um, I mean, obviously a lot of players at the time were were going out there, weren't they? It's like, like I, I think the Tevez one was mm. very interesting, wasn't it? He, he didn't like, you know, he went there for the money, and mm. I think he only stayed less than eleven months. It's, isn't, it, isn't it strange though, Joe, they all go to China and then within a couple of months they all want to leave? It could be the culture, I don't know, but you know, they get mm. all this money, £500,000 a week, whatever it is, but mm. normally within six to eight months to 12 months they all come back or they go on a, you know, another club pays a yeah. fee, whatever it is. I'm, I'm, There's I'm something wrong the, there, isn't there, really? Yeah, it, it's usually wages, is usually the issue. Um, and the reason I know that I, I know Nicholas Anelka relatively well, and he, um, you know, he and Didier Drogba remember went out to China, and they weren't paid for. So I don't know if the rules changed recently, but um, the last time I looked, there's a FIFA ruling that if a player isn't paid for more than three months, then he can break his contract immediately. So what these guys were doing is they were they were they were delaying payments for two months and 28 days or 29 days, you know, and then they would pay another month. So they always came under this FIFA kind of rule and then, you know, whatever, they would they would let it slip. So, um, so, so, so these guys, you know, I certainly know this with regards to Drogba and Anelka when they went out there. The reason they cut their skin short is they weren't getting paid on time. So just because they're massive salaries doesn't mean to say you get paid on time, you know. Um, it, it, you're still dealing with, uh, you know, with um, some of the. Some things haven't changed in football, Andrew, from the 70s and 80s, you know. <laughs> and wages and wages being paid on time is one of those things. And, and, you know, people are talking about, oh, why don't English players go and play in Europe uh, to help them develop and learn a different football culture? Well, the primary reason is that there are still many, many leagues around Europe that are not paying wages on time. So in the Premier League, you know, not only are the wages big, but they are paid on time. I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case in, say, League Two, for example, you know, some of those clubs that are struggling. But certainly in the top level and the championship level, um, the wages are not only sizable, but they get paid on time. I think that, I think eventually, with, the, with there being so much money in the Premier League, I, like, I think the Americans have got, you know, I wouldn't say... I think if they had promotion relegation, then you know you, you could take them a bit more seriously when it comes to the, the, their understanding of, of the beautiful game. But when it, when it comes to the way that they run their league, it is very much um, run run quite well with regards to money wise, and it seems you know the, the the states that are you know have have football 
Um, it's, it's all choreographed, it's all been done better than what they did the last time. So I think when it comes to the English league, they're not looking after the guys. Like, you know, I don't, it's okay, like financial fair play when it comes to looking after, making sure you don't spend what you haven't got type thing. But yeah. when it comes to the guys like the Hartlepools, the Dar- the the Darlingtons, the the you know the Lincolns, the Southends, you know these guys, well, they're struggling every, every week. They should like well, they should uh, be somebody magnanimous amongst you know amongst them. But the fact that yeah. PFA can't even look after the, their own players when it comes to head injuries, you know, there's, there's yeah. a lot of things wrong, isn't there? Yeah. Again, I mean, you know, look. This may sound blasphemous to to died in the wool football fans, but you know me, Andrew. I don't hold back. Um, I think there are too many football clubs. I really do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you go back a hundred years, there weren't 92 league clubs. So, uh, you know, the, the, the pie every every club that there is gets a slice of the pie, and the, the, some of those slices are getting thinner and thinner and thinner nowadays. And do we really need that many clubs now? Yes, I could sit in the room and I could hear the argument of someone from Hartlepool or, or Dalor, um, and, and you know they would give all the reasons about well it's my local club and I was born and bred it. Yeah, but you know it's a money business now. It, it, well, it's a business, um, and if you can't survive, then what's the point? You know, someone else comes along and and, and buys the club after they've gone into bankruptcy and debt and they take it into bankruptcy and debt it's like a cycle that never ends you know I think that's the one thing I've noticed um, there's obviously rumours about and I'm sorry I'm talking I'm talking professionally I think there's nothing yeah. wrong with with having a whole you know thousands mm-hmm. of clubs up and down the country that are semi-professional or you know we have mm-hmm. a, a really a great healthy non-league scene up here in the northeast which is fabulous mm-hmm. um, and yes payers get played for playing in the non-league but it, 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 in essence it's an amateur league. It's um, it's a semi-professional league. You know, they get paid to turn up the training and they get paid to, to to play in the match on the weekend and they get a win bonus and all the rest of it. But you're talking about 50 quid here, 100 quid there, 200 quid there. You know, they're essentially amateur clubs. So um, I don't think it's any God-given right that, that Hartlepool has to have a football team or Darlow or Lincoln City or whatever. I think there's just too many clubs, too many football teams, too many... Well, I think, it's all, I think Hartlepool nearly went under. I think they're being saved by... Uh, I think the last minute by this new investor that came in and and it, the thing is yeah, I think you're right because when it comes to Darlington remember they built that stadium in Darlington um, that was you know a <laughs> white elephant yeah I couldn't understand I think well if they get that many well I can imagine them getting 5,000 I could imagine getting like I think that stadium was 25,000 wasn't it when they built it yeah so, yeah, 20, yeah. we could get 25,000 there but like it's Darlington. It's not like a. It's a massive mm. Caspian area. People who want to watch football. Probably the biggest indictment of, uh, especially in Newcastle. You walk around and there's so many kids with, um, you know, Barcelona shirts on, mm. Real Madrid, um, Arsenal, Chelsea. Mm. You know, you, there's a lot. There's a massive um, uh, Asian population, uh, especially with the kids going to school, uh, mm. coming over here. Like Newcastle's really made a massive effort to try and bring in the Chinese money. So yeah, I can, yeah. So I can understand why people think, well, that seems to be a bottom of the pit in China. But uh, mm. when it comes to, you know, trying to bring in money, um, mm. I think when it comes to, especially when it comes to clubs. But I just think for the good of the game, because essentially, with, without the good, the, 
good of the game, you're not going to get um, people giving two things about different clubs. And um, I, I just think it's Neepy's responsibility, and I think a grown-up, to be honest mm. with you, to say, listen, this is not about um, the clubs, it's about mm. the league. And uh, let's look after the league. And you're right, some clubs can go semi-professional, but I think there has to be some kind of money, money, money it has to be sustainable it's it as simple as that so. I'm going to have to head shortly Andrew because my dinner's it. burning we'll do another quick five minutes and then I'll have to sleep <laughs> But like, so when you, how long are you back for? How long have you been back for? And when oh, you head just back a, to your other gig? Just, just a few days. Um, I'll leave again after the weekend, so back out to the Middle East. So how long do you normally come back for when you're just here and there? It's just, it just depends on what's happening. It's different every time, you know. Um, the last couple of years I've just been in and out. Last, last summer was just a week, but uh, yeah, it's, it's fleeting. It's a fleeting visit. I've got to say, the, the one market that surprised me when it came, comes to presenters, and mm-hmm. uh, that to me, uh, it, it seems to be the, 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 it seems to be falling down, because in Australia you get all the games, you can pick whichever yeah. game you want to watch, but when I watch the presenters of there, um, it's, it, it's, it's, it comes across as like comedy hour. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised actually, because I, I thought when you're trying to get the best people, uh, yeah. And you watch them, um, you know they they don't come across that they know their stuff and and I've been and obviously when I was over there, um, you know they like when you hear of those you know, here Dubai yourself uh, when it comes to the Middle East at least yeah. they because you guys can get the if you wanted to get a I suppose a, a Jamie Carragher uh, mm-hmm. to, to come in on a show you would call him up and say okay do you want to come in to um, talk about the the main game of the day. You can, yeah. you can get him to come in. When over there, you can tell, even though it's far away, that they they just basically go with ex footballers. You never see. I've never seen yet a manager. Uh, I suppose like um, Kirbyshly, because he's 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 on the circuit all the time, mm. here then everywhere. But you never see. Uh, it's always like I've noticed it's Mark Bosnich out there in Australia. Um, right. But because of his Australian connection, obviously. So. Yeah, it's, and it's interesting watching the presenters. It's like when they talk about the, the analysis of football. Would you think there's too much? Like I saw a, a video the other day about uh, Brian Clough. Do you think there's an over-analysis of football going on when it comes to uh, you know um, causing meltdowns by Mourinho? <laughs> um, I think there's. I don't think there's an over-analysis. I think. Um, I think they're, I don't know how to put this, um, put it this way, I can only talk from a, from a TV perspective, yeah. but the, the format has not really moved on since Sky launched um, at the beginning of the 90s. You know, they came in with a really new and fresh format, yes, that's stolen quite a lot of ideas from the way that they presented sport on TV in America, but the fact of the matter is, it was very, very different to the way sports had been presented before. And I don't think there's been anything really new since then or anything really fresh since then. Yeah, the technology's improved in terms of the, you know, what we call Telestrator, Piero. These are just industry names of the, the graphical analysis that you see on Monday Night Football. I, I mean, I personally would like to see more of that. And I think what also needs to happen as well, I think shows need to breathe a little bit longer. Um, BT's doing it quite well. 
even though I think Jay Comfrey just has got no football sense whatsoever. And what I mean by that is, um, no, no, what I mean by that is, you know, I, I watched him on the Formula One and he was absolutely bloody brilliant. You know, you, you could tell that he'd breathed um, uh, motor racing for a long, long time and he had that sense. He knew what to say to the drivers, knew what to ask the drivers. Whereas the players sometimes are, or ex-players, sorry, the pundits on BD Sport are looking at him and going, you haven't got a clue. And, and I can see that because obviously, you know, that's what I do. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really lucky because I'm one of very few presenters that actually worked on the other side of the fence, i.e. inside a football club. You know, that's why I think Gary Lineker is very good. He's played the game. Even though I haven't played the game, I've been on the team bus. And I, I know what it's like for a player who's injured when, you know, fans are just going like, Oh, you know, we should sack him because he's taking his wages and he's always injured. I've seen the, the pain and suffering the players go through when they're injured and they just get back from injury in the breakdown again. You know, it doesn't matter how much money you're on. It doesn't matter how many 50 grand a week or whatever you're on. You know, these guys want to play. And when you've been out injured and then you come back and you break down uh, injured again, you know, so, so I have a, a better... Um, a better understanding of, of how it works on the other side of the fence. And you've got to remember that most of the people, certainly you know, folk who write all the articles in the newspapers, the websites, etc., etc., they've never seen that side of it. And, you know, everyone's ranting and raving about Josie Mourinho. I've watched his 12-minute thing, except the bit at the end. He's actually kind of right in, in a lot of the things he was saying. But everyone's going like Mourinho's having a meltdown and, you know, this, that, and the other. Are there problems at Manchester United? Absolutely not. Is, has Jose Mourinho got his team sorted and settled as he wants it? No, he hasn't. You know, and people are judging him and, and many other managers based on how much money he's spent. And you just go like, you know, 90 million for Paul Pogger. That's what a, a top quality player costs nowadays, you know? So the money is irrelevant. And, and the fact that he's not performing... It's got nothing to do with his price tag. What if it cost $9 million? Would people be jumping up and down? No, they wouldn't. That's just the market forces. Mourinho doesn't dictate the $90 million. Paul Pogba himself doesn't dictate the $90 million. It's the agent in Manchester United as a, as a club. It's uh, Woodward that dictates the $90 million. So when I'm seeing some of this, it, it's like, and then this is all about journalism and media that hasn't changed, has it? There's a bit of sensationalism in there. So, um, you know, coming back to your question about sort of like TV, et cetera, et cetera, um, the problem with you, to give them their due in Australia in particular, you know, to get an ex-player on a plane to Australia, he's only going to fly business class or first class. It's a long, long time. Payers, the players are, are, are like any kind of performer. They are paid from the day they leave their house to the day they return to the house. So just because he might be on the show on a Saturday and Sunday night, if it's taken him a day or two days to travel from the UK to Australia and two days to travel back, that player will have to be paid, or that pundit, sorry, will have to be paid for, for five or six days. That's kind of how it works. And they may not have the budget to do that, you know. So you have to give them a little bit of leeway in, in that particular regard. Yeah, I think when it comes to uh, Qatar and Dubai and the area... It's in, much easier. It's Yeah, because they, they can kind of fly... Seven hours, right? Well, well, yeah, because quite often the channel, like being sports, is government-owned, and uh, obviously they'll fly Qatar Airways, which is also government-owned airlines. So, you know, the flight cost will be borne by the government. It's it's all the Ministry of Tourism or something like that. I think it's um, with the problem with there being issues in Qatar, you can't fly directly from the Dubai area to Qatar. Currently, no, you can't. No, they stopped the border, haven't they? That's the Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to fly. You have to fly via Muscat. No. No, no, it's no, it's not. No, it, it, it's just the awkwardness of getting off a plane, waiting for an hour, and getting on another plane for what is essentially a, a, a fifty-minute flight. Qatar to Dubai is like fifty minutes, probably less, forty-five minutes. Um, so if you want to go from Qatar to Dubai or Doha to Dubai, you have to go via Muscat. So you've got to fly to Muscat, which is an hour, sit in the airport for an hour minimum, and then fly another hour to or another. 45 minutes to Dubai, so it's like a three-hour journey for what should have been a 45-minute journey, but anyway. I was going to say, the uh, interesting thing about Jacob is, I've no, what you've said struck struck me now, because every time he's asking a question, like, I watch him, because he's got his iPad in front of him, and I think the one thing he seems to, well, I'm not sure, he seems to take great, he gives himself a high five, is when, afterwards, when they're talking for like nine minutes, could be eight minutes, could be 12 minutes. And he's asking a question. He's li- you're right. You saw some of the players' reaction because they they legitimately don't know where he's coming from, but but they talk for such a long period of time, and then he mm. seems to enjoy the the oh it's been it's been viewed by a million people, um, two million people. That that's the strength of um, BT. Sport. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, in television, yeah. we just we just call it talking their language. You know, yeah. um, that's it's. it's talking the player's language so saying something that they would you know they, they understand the question is, is something that they understand you know so I think I think David Ginola's um, physical reaction to, to Jake Humphrey uh, oh, yeah. uh, a, a couple of years back probably um, <laughs> probably sums it, sums it up yeah. well, so he's anyway going to treat, right. he's going to treat players the way they want to be treated don't you? Yeah, yeah. It's been good much, Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Enjoy. Are you going to be trying to take your uh, Greg's with you? Sorry. Somehow? Are you trying to take your Greg's with you? Would you leave? <laughs> yeah, I might try it actually. See if I can get her on the plane. <laughs> well, good idea. Good luck. Good luck. Have a nice trip. I'll actually talk to you about something else in the near future as well. So, good luck with everything. And uh, thanks for being on the show tonight. And we'll catch Pleasure. you next time. Thanks a lot, Joe. Take care. Bye. Bye. Well, so thanks very much to, to Joe Morrison. Uh, Joseph Joe Morrison is a TV anchor for 10 Sports, 10 Action and Sony 6, which provides live football coverage to the Persian Gulf region and the Indian subcontinent. Well, that's been, a, that's been the show tonight. Remember, if you want to uh, back, uh, you listen back to the show, uh, just go to www.toontalk.co.uk and also it's going to be available this show on Monday from Nova Radio co.uk where you can listen to it on any handheld device remember if you go to the app store just type in to talk and you'll be able to listen back to this live show tonight with uh, joe morrison uh, on all things football not just newcastle united sunderland hartleypool and darlington about all football matters so we'll catch you again on to talk look forward to seeing you on the next show thanks then bye-bye
Remember, go to the App Store and type in Toon Talk and you'll be able to listen back at any time, anywhere, anywhere.